Welcome to another edition of Making Money. Ron Hebert, the financial coach, joins us, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, a retired broadcaster. Ron, we want to talk about the defense industry. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. If you had invested in this over the last, I'm going to say, 40 years, you would have done pretty well. <laughs> it's been a great business for investors. And uh, to give you an idea how big it is, in 2020, global spending was just a snick under $2 trillion. And the U.S., which is the epicenter for uh, defense, spent as much as the next seven countries combined. So when you're looking at defense and you're looking at defense investments, the center of the universe is going to be the United States of America. There's a, you know, I remember back this a while ago in my radio career, Ron, but there was a story about ashtrays that were used on, uh, on, a, on U.S. Air Force aircraft. And the, air, the the ashtrays ended up costing like 125 bucks a piece, and it was a piece of metal. It, it, you know uh, that we've heard these stories constantly about how much gouging goes on in this sector, right? And uh, that's part of the uh, part of the upside. And the industry has some upside and some downside. And we're going to review uh, that today. And because one of the big upsides is that the industry tends to be a monopoly. There's very few players. And so if you want something, um, there's not many places to go. And as a result, they can charge you what they want. And as a result, revenue growth over the last five years has been about 5% a year. Going forward, it's expected to grow by 3 or 4% a year. And that's assuming, Gord, that we don't have a new arms race. And with China and Russia versus the West coming up with some very sophisticated weapons, uh, you know, hypersonic missiles, new, new types of submarines, laser technology that can um, be employed in space. There's a bunch of stuff, and this technology is not cheap. Weapon systems get more and more expensive all the time. And of course, you know, with the nuclear weapons, we don't have MAD anymore, mutually uh, assured destruction, uh, assured destruction. But it doesn't mean that we still don't have wars. And if you look around the globe, there's still lots of wars going on. <clears throat> and with uh, China and Russia flexing their muscles and pushing on the West, uh, you know, there's a new arms race for uh, forming. And of course, that those five factors are great uh, for the industry. It means that more money is going to be spent and the industry is, could be more profitable as a result. You say here there's nothing as sure as death and taxes. You might add war to that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay, let's look at, let's look at the downside then. What, if, if you want to stay clear of this sector. Yeah, there's some, there's some issues that you, you need to be uh, aware of. And first, spending cut gets cut on defense after a war. And when you take a look at long-term conflicts and when they end, in this case, Afghanistan, governments tend to cut defense spending. You go back and look at the Korean War, uh, the defense budget fell by 43% after Vietnam, it fell by 33%. And after the Soviet Union uh, was toppled in the Cold War, uh, defense spending uh, fell by 36%. So we just came out of a war and typically you see defense spending come down. And uh, that's one of your risks right now. Well, money alone doesn't win wars, right? 
money alone does not win wars. And if you take a look at uh, Western countries over the last 20 years, have pumped over $1 trillion into defending and uh, supporting the nation of Afghanistan. You know, it was the belief of some strategists that the government had been stabilized enough so that they had 350,000 troops that had been trained by Canadians and the Brits and Europeans and the Americans, and uh, that they had a very sophisticated and tough army that could uh, defend against anything that the Taliban threw against them. Well, that lasted uh, that lasted a week. Once the Americans withdrew, uh, they they found that the Afghani's just dropped their their weapons and ran, and the the theory collapsed as Taliban fighters were able to retake the entire country in the time span of a week. That's amazing, and of course, this military failure is going to reverberate through uh, the the defense establishments of the UK and Canada and the US. We're going to be asking ourselves what went wrong, because this military failure will cause many to say, "Well, look, we've been just throwing money at this, and it isn't working." So we've got to come up with a more coherent strategy. And generally, it means that your checkbook gets gets throttled back until they figure it out. So if you're an investor in defense stocks, expect cutbacks in certain areas and a lot more scrutiny going forward. And and usually after a conflict like that one, Ron, I mean, it was a a terrible situation over there. A lot of young men and women lost their lives. The U.S. probably has a pretty bad taste in their mouth about war right now, don't they? Yeah, when you look at when a long, unpopular war ends, the public has absolutely no appetite to enter another conflict for a very long period of time. Think decades. You know, Afghanistan looks a lot like the messy and chaotic uh, withdrawal that the U.S. had from Vietnam in the 1970s. Remember the the American embassy. Oh yeah. The helicopters on the roof. Yeah. And, and, and everybody crawling to try and get out. It sort of reminded me of what went on in Afghanistan here in August. And, you know, the U S had thousands of kids, 50,000 kids died in that war. And America's uh, inability to win made it very unpopular in the U S and Americans had a bad taste in their mouths and were very reluctant to enter major conflicts or commit large amounts of troops and money uh, for the next 26 years, and it was only until 9-11 attacks on American soil that George Bush Jr. committed huge military resources to both Iraq and Afghanistan, and both outcomes have been complete disasters. And the U.S. has proven once how, again how inept they are at implementing democratic values in places uh, where they force regime change. We know absolutely nothing about that, and we need to learn how to do that. Um, if we're going to affect uh, a regime change. Otherwise, it just descends into chaos. And you look at, at what's happened there, and, you, okay, you got a mighty military. I mean, there's a, as you say, they spend seven times, you know, more than the seven next seven countries spend. The U.S. is a, is a, is a mega military power. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win. You have to have a strategy to win, too, right? And they, they seem to have fallen short there. Well, you take a look at the Taliban. Uh, they had 75,000 poorly trained, poorly equipped, and poorly led soldiers. There were mostly little cells that ran around uh, doing things. There was, uh, but they had a strategy, and the Afghani army and police were 350,000 strong, and at the peak, there was 160,000 uh, foreign military in that country. 
So that's over and, half a million. That's over yeah, so there's over half a million to 75,000. We got involved in these wars and didn't know a thing about these countries' culture, history, religion, or politics. And and we just thought, we go into all these wars thinking they're going to be like World War One and World War Two, where our battalions will meet their battalions and strategy and uh, logistics and the quality of our weapons will determine who, who, how the outcome goes. And well, it, it, it never works out in places like Afghanistan. It didn't work out in Vietnam. It didn't work out in Iraq. It didn't work out in Libya. It didn't work out in Syria. It hasn't worked out anywhere because we frankly don't have a clue what we're doing. And before we enter another conflict, the military is going to have to do a complete rethink on why things have continuously gone so wrong and finally figure out how to fix it. And until they do, I think the days of the unlimited check writing on third world complex are coming to a close. We're just not going to get involved in these places. So as you said a few moments ago, Ron, in this sector, there's not a lot of choice. There's, there's only a handful of people that supply to the military. Uh, let's take a look at some of those companies and, and what your thoughts are on those particular individual stocks. Well, there's uh, really five major names in, in uh, the U.S. And the first one is Northrop Grumman. Uh, their symbol's NLC. Uh, they're about 13 times earnings, yield 1.6%. They produce stealth aircraft, advanced radar, and spacecraft. Then there's General Dynamics. We know these guys as the uh, company that makes nuclear submarines, cruisers, destroyers, and battle tanks. They're about 17 times earnings, have a yield of 2.3%. There's Raytheon, RTX, and they're $86, 17 times earnings, yield 2.3%. And they're a major developer of missile systems like the Patriot. And, of course, uh, the next big thing is going to be these hypersonic uh, systems where uh, these are small missiles that go very fast and are very flexible and are extraordinarily hard to shoot down. And so Raytheon does that kind of stuff. And they also uh, made the Mars rover. They're big into cybersecurity, which is going to become more and more important. Uh, then you have uh, Lockheed Martin LMT. Uh, they're, they're 16 times earnings, have a nice yield of 3.1%. Uh, they've made the F-16, the F-21, the F-35. They own Sikorsky. They make the Black Hawk helicopters. Uh, their next big thing is going to be the X-59, which is going to be a supersonic plane that um, they're, they're going to make it so that it will have no sonic boom. So this will open up for planes to fly further and much faster than they ever done before. And of course, where the big growth I think is going to be in the next five to 10 years is in cybersecurity. And that includes cyber spying, electronic counterterrorism, hacking, electronic welfare. And uh, the big player that has a huge government contract is a company called Bose Allen, BAH. Uh, it trades on the New York Stock Exchange. It's 19 times earnings, has a yield of 1.7%. So there you have it, the major players. And it's an area that I, I suppose you should have a little chunk of it in your portfolio because conflict seems to be a constant, doesn't it? <laughs> Well, this one, it's one of the reasons that we look at it because over time, you know, you'll have short-term cuts in spending like I think we could be seeing right now. But one of the reasons I bring that up is because this sector has underperformed as people look at all the reasons that we talked about today that, uh, frankly, defense spending could be cut. And normally there's a couple of years where things go down, but the market tends to anticipate that. So 
that's why these companies have been in a bit of a funk. And over time, I think in this group, there's going to be some major opportunities. And um, especially in the areas of, of uh, missile systems, especially in the areas of counterterrorism and electronic uh, warfare, cyber spying, I think there's, these are big growth industries. So over the short term, yeah, we can see a pullback in these things. But I think that if you're willing to own stocks in this sector, uh, I think that over the next year or two, there could be a real big buying opportunity here. So there you go. Some more advice from the financial coach, Ron Hebert. If you uh, would like to question something about the content of the show, or if you have a suggestion for a show we haven't touched on, uh, give us a shout. You can reach us via email, letsmakemoney.ca, or through cfcw.com, and we'll be happy to answer your question or consider your show suggestion. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord White. Join us next week as we talk about investing and climate risk. Oh, boy, there's nothing to touch on there, Ron. <laughs> no, small show. <laughs> we'll be back next week. We'll talk with you then. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.